The holidays have made me think a lot about one of my favorite foods, bread. But we can't grow that here, yet. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian. Welcome to our podcast of December the 26th, 2013. Here's hoping you are having a wonderful Christmas season. You know, we Episcopalians think Christmas only starts on Christmas Day, so... We're just now beginning the Christmas season and hope that you're having a wonderful That's one. That's right. Merry Christmas to you. And we're, uh, of course, we continue through the Feast of the Epiphany, so we're just uh, getting warmed up now. Exactly. <laughs> we're talking today about options for grains, and I guess it came up uh, because you were listening to a podcast or a webinar that uh, happened to get into some of this and got us thinking about it. Yeah. We decided, you know, that's a worthwhile subject. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to talking about the ancient grains, as we call them. But um, it really is true that I like bread. And I started thinking about, well, I made bread pudding a couple of times over the holidays. And actually, I'm going to be making one more pretty soon. So, um, and, and then you made some beer bread the other day, which was excellent. We had that for Christmas Eve supper. So um, it's it's a staple of our diets, but it's something, you know, we, we talk about moving towards self-sufficiency, but we aren't growing grains yet. Um, if you look at the um, USDA uh, food groups or recommendations for a healthy, balanced diet, whole grains are essential for good health. Now, not so much, you know, white bread and <laughs> enriched so-called enriched bread um it's a it needs to be a whole grain and, and a certain at least half of a portion of grain every day should be a whole grain i'm i'm going to take issue with your statement that whole grains are essential for good health i know i have read and maybe they're just splinter groups but i have certainly read uh descriptions of people's diets that make it a point to say grains are not an essential part of our diet. Well, then something else would have to take its place. Absolutely. We would have to have adequate protein and so forth from other sources. But I have the impression, and maybe that's something we can research later, that grains are not, it's not that we have to have them. Well, um, the fiber in grain, the protein in grain, in some of these grains, these ancient grains, amino acids, um, there, uh, there's a lot of nutrient value there that if you don't have the grain, you'll need to find it some other way. Exactly. Um, I agree with you on but, that. But it is considered, if you look at the food group, uh, the USDA, it is still considered a food group that should be part of everybody's diet. I can accept that the USDA says that because understand the USDA is a whore for big ag and big ag well, is all about grain. certainly don't so. hear me as being an apologist for that. But I also have to believe that, again, maybe I'm being influenced by what I've most recently heard from ancient grains, that the problem is we're not eating the right kinds of grains. And, and that I certainly can agree with you on. So rather than our having an argument about a subject neither of one of us understands, uh, we promise you that we will have a little more information on the show notes page resolving this question to the extent that we feel comfortable well, resolving it. Well, and let it. me say that I'm not a nutritionist. So really, I don't take that to be my area of expertise. Nor do I. Um, I know that it's, as we've said to people over the years, grow what you like to eat. And 
what and I we can, do like to and eat we bread. do like to eat bread. <laughs> so even if we find out it's not essential or something else could be substituted, I mean, let's face it, people who are vegetarian and vegan find other ways to get their protein um, that might not be the recommendation of some, True. you know. So so it's not. I don't want to get hung up on these different factions. Nor do I about nutrition, but I do want to get hung up on having to being able to grow things that we like to eat and that for us are essential because we don't have other ways of getting those nutrients. And one of the ways that we already have experienced this is in growing corn. And we need to stress that when you and I grow corn, we're not talking about number two field corn, which is the essential product of big ag and uh, huge monoculture and so forth. We're talking about dent corn, uh, Sometimes called flint heritage corn. breeds of corn. Right. Yeah, the, the, what I was able to find out um, about corn is that there's sweet, what's called generically sweet corn, and then there's dry corn. But it's sometimes a, a dent corn or a flint corn or an Indian corn would also fall into that variety. Which of, one? Of, I'm sorry, that would fall into the dry corn variety. Okay. Um, and those types of corn are the ones that, and of course, if you plant them too close together, the sweet and the dry, they can actually cross-pollinate. So one has to be careful about that. But the nice thing about the dry corn, it's meant to be dried, literally. Um, and then after the drying process, um, it is converted to cornmeal. Now, it's interesting. The one experience we had with doing this, and it actually it worked, and it was made wonderful cornbread, Um we have a friend, Jonathan Meeks, who, and shout out to Jonathan, who came up to visit and he brought some of his dried um, dent corn. We combined it with what we had been able to grow that year. And I can't remember whether exactly which uh, cultivar it was or which variety, but I just know that we, it was something in, in that category of a dent corn. Um, anyway, he came and we, he had a handy dandy. We think it's called a grinder, but corn we're not grinder sure. that had been in his family for a while. I don't even know where you could get. Well, actually, I looked on eBay, and people are charging anywhere from six to twelve hundred dollars for those things now. Oh my so goodness. I know, and it's, this is a hand. That makes Jonathan a special guy. I know it's a hand cranked machine. It's not really, but they are antiques. And yeah. by this time, anyway, it worked. You know, you, you, what happened was he put that through that grinder and it separated the dried kernels from the cob because you certainly don't want the cob then we had the kernels and we went through the process of um and it was ground it was off the cob and it was ground then we did winnowing we did i don't know if we called it winnowing that day but i have since learned it's winnowing when you set up a fan to blow across you you dump the the ground corn from one vessel to another in the air and as it's going you know like vertically a vertical drop and as it's being dropped from one vessel to another you have a light fan it don't want it to be so hard blowing it blows the corn away but it blows the chaff away it winnows the chaff away from the corn and i remember it did blow some chaff away every time we poured it but one time was not enough oh no it's it you got to have some patience four or five times uh to get that chaff blown away but it did work and and we ended up with whole kernel corn as our final product of that process and then you and i put it through our grain mill and we ground it it down to cornmeal yeah 
And we made cornmeal that night, and I think Jonathan was able to join us for some corn, yes. cornbread, wasn't he? Bra- yes, you baked some, and then we divvied it up, and he took some home, and we took some home of the of right. the meal. of the cornmeal. stuck it in the freezer, you know, it was, it's uh, and it kept, and we, we had several batches of cornbread from it. I would love to have more of it. So that's something for the future. We'll continue to work on that. We should say that our experience with corn generally has not been a positive one. We have trouble getting corn to produce in production quantity. And yeah, part of it I know is because I'm not I'm not planting enough of it close together to cross-pollinate with each other the way it needs to. Um, and so it's it's supposed to be in blocks, not rows. And when you go past a cornfield, you see all this massive And planting. we did, in fact, plant corn that way this last year, but the moles and voles got after yeah. it, and we ended up with not much to we show for it. Four, but we'll try again. We only had four co- corn and stalks. And see if we can't yeah. get um, a better. We'll just keep working because we understand how important corn is for our long-term plans here. Yes. Um, and another one, uh, let's, we've talked a lot about corn, but there's another crop that we know grows in this area pretty well, and that's buckwheat. And buckwheat is not, I guess, it's not a grass in the sense that corn is, and therefore you might say it's not really a grain, but it certainly does produce a cereal. It is. It's a cereal that is added. I mean, that's why buckwheat pancakes are so uh, popular, because that's an additive to other flour. So some some of these grains are really not meant to be uh, ground into a flour that you would eat by itself, probably rye flour. I mean, I probably wouldn't care for that, but you certainly could inter, you know, mm-hmm. intertwine or, or combine flours. And the buckwheat produces a kind of a nutty kernel that's encased in a husk very much the way wheat does. So that I guess that's why we call it buckwheat, um, because it does have uh, some character uh, features that make it similar to wheat. And another uh, nice thing about buckwheat is it's actually considered a very useful trap crop for stink bugs. So there's another reason why I might want to plant me some buckwheat. Okay, good. Well, I'm, I, we can certainly give buckwheat a try. It is a warm season crop. You plant it in the spring, you harvest it in the fall. So, uh, And that is not the case with several of these others that we're going to name. How about sorghum? I don't know anything about sorghum. Well, sorghum, what you think of, of course, is sorghum syrup. Mm-hmm. Um, we bought some recently at the syrup shopping. And, and it tastes some. pretty good. It it's a, pretty it's good. a cane it, it tastes more like cane syrup than, you know, like maple syrup or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But if your tastes run to that cane syrup taste, the sorghum syrup is delicious. But I've never thought much about the grain from sorghum, and, and it's something we'd need to investigate. But I put that near the top of the list on the outline because it we know it grows in this area. People and grow sorghum. I know sorghum. that when we did the syrup, when, when they made the sorghum syrup, it was in the fall, so it must be a grow-in-the-warm-season kind right. of crop. yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, next up would be winter wheat, and and let us point out, this is not the kind of wheat that is normally used for bread in the United States. The kind of wheat that's normally used for bread grow, does not grow well in the humid south. It grows better out west, like Montana and Idaho and that sort of thing. Yeah. And in fact, I think we've got a photo that we're going to use for the podcast showing me milling wheat for bread. And that wheat, we cannot grow here. We have to buy it 
from somebody who grows it in Montana. Yeah, so it's, you know, and many of these grains that we're going to be talking about, this is not, where we live is not the optimum region for very many of them. But um, a couple of things we can say, and that actually leads us to the next little grouping, which I call ancient grains or heritage wheats. Okay, go ahead. I'm, well, um, I, I was going to say, the, you, there is a variety of wheat that we can grow in, oh, okay. in the a south of wheat. That's, that we plant in the fall and harvest in the like early summer, I think. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, we don't know anything about it. We've never grown it. We've never used its product. It's possible that if you were pressed to do so, you could come up with a, a bread that you made from it. We just don't know. Okay, yeah. Uh, now go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, and I didn't mean to get ahead of that. Um, but the ancient grains or the heritage grains, um, there are three of them that are most prevalent. They're, I'm not saying they're the only ones, but the ones you hear about are einkorn. And That's E-I-N-K-O-R-N. A German word, right? Einkorn and emmer, E-M-M-M-E-R, and then spelt, which is spelt, just like it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, um, these are m more naturally occurring grains. Some of them, in fact, the, the one of einkorn actually dates back to 16,000 B.C. Um, it's Some of these are mentioned in the Bible, although sometimes erroneously, like a translation that refers to spelt, it might actually be emmer or, you know, an einkorn that is called spelt. But the point is, back in Bible times, when they talked about many of these grains, they, these are the ones. And they're of interest here currently because so many Americans have developed gluten intolerance. And to varying degrees, these ancient mm. versions of wheat are less irritating to people who are gluten intolerant. Yeah, it just makes me think, and it may relate back to what we're saying about whether or not whole grains are really necessary. Um, it makes me think that if, if humans had stuck to these naturally occurring, um, instead of domesticated wheat, if they'd stuck to the, the native wheat that was there, um, maybe that would have been much better for the digestive system. So I guess the one that is most known for um, not irritating gluten-intolerant individuals would be einkorn. Einkorn. Yes, that's one of the main advantages. That seems to be the, the least, um, to contain the least amount of gluten. But even then, I would say for all three of these, when we've checked, they've said, check if you have celiac disease, check with your health professional before ingesting them. Yeah, I think for people with celiac disease, it's a, they don't even mess with this. It's, it's the only people who have a lower grade a lower of grade, gluten intolerance yeah, yeah. who might be able to tolerate one or more of these. And <laughs> it was interesting. And if you're gluten intolerant, this is not at all funny, but it is interesting to me to think about a person who would be this sensitive. But they said the best way to test it is to take a tiny pinch of this flour. Of the einkorn, right. And yeah. touch it to your lips, not your tongue, just your lips and wait for half an hour or so. And if you don't get irritated, then touch a tiny portion of it to your tongue and see if there's a reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't have a reaction, then you can tiptoe and, you know, a little bit of grain bread, a little bit, you know, and, and just kind of try it a little bit more and a little bit more. Uh, so obviously this is serious stuff for people who do struggle with it. Yes, and, and I didn't mean to equate celiac disease with being simply gluten intolerant 
but sometimes they do go hand in, you know, like person with, and, and the thing is a lot of gluten tolerant people don't know yet whether they have something more right. serious. So, so uh, we're not saying go out and just buy some of this and eat a cake made from it or something. It's all about, it's a possibility. It's possible that a person might be able to uh, more so than regular wheat. So einkorn is one. The disadvantage of einkorn is in the U.S., the seed is devilishly hard to come by. Um, in Europe and, and of course, most of these um, seeds, these uh, grains came from the Fertile Crescent. You might find them in Mesopotamia or someplace like that. Or, and, you know, in Switzerland, they sell breads made from it in Italy. But, um, but in Europe, it, it spread into Europe. But in the U.S., it's, it's harder to find the seed to plant it. Now, you can go online and find einkorn flour and buy it in, for a price. It's not cheap. Um, but we're interested in trying to plant it. So we'll keep looking into that. And Emmer, if you uh, have a source or if you are a source for einkorn, Please let us know, and we will include your contact information on our show notes page Absolutely. so that someone who is looking for einkorn can find you. Really, for any of these seeds, especially einkorn, emmer, and spelt, uh, those three especially. Note the emmer, which is also sometimes called farrow, um, that we, we were fascinated by because it's um, wild emmer, the original, you know, is self uh, cultivating and it would describe the process whereby the seeds implant oh, wow. themselves. Oh wow! We had such a ground. good time reading about this. the The seed has arms, and the way it works is that it floats down and then buries it. It always lands with the opening down, and what happens is that as the humidity increases at night, the arms spread out and pump the seed, the kernel, down into the soil. And the little seed has um, follicles that are like hooks. And so it gets pumped down into the soil, and then those follicles dig in and keep it from coming back up when the humidity dries out. And then the next night, it gets humid again, and it drives it a little further, and the follicles hook in and keep it from going back. So effectively, this... um, seed, the pharaoh seed, gets driven into the soil by the nightly cycle of humidity increasing and then decreasing during the day. Just fascinating. It's fascinating, and it really is uh, nature's way of helping this plant perpetuate itself. So we're, we're going to look into it. It's, uh, it's a popular type of uh, grain that can be used to make bread or pasta. And we've, we've, what I have heard is that there is um, a cultivar called Lucille. I presume spelled like a woman's name, Lucille, um, that up in the U.S. we should be able to get a hold of. It is spelled like the woman's name, Lucille. Okay. I did confirm yeah. that. And then spelt is the final one of these, and it's supposed to have a sweet, nutty flavor and be good in flatbread, so that's another one we may be looking into. Um, moving on down the list, though, to get away from these grains, these uh, ancient grains, rice, uh, you would think you couldn't grow in the southeast well or in North America at all. But one thing I learned is that in North America, there are some early maturing types of rices and also wild rice that is grown in this continent. So we hope that we might look into that. Um, 
I don't I don't hold out a lot of hope, but we'll at least check it out. Along with oats. Now oats should grow here fine. Oats um seem to grow well in the humid southeast, which is great news for us. We probably will give oats a try. Yeah. Uh barley we've looked at. Uh it tends to need a little cooler weather than we have. Yeah. So we think that probably won't work well for us. Rye does work as a winter cover crop, but I'll be honest, I haven't seen the actual cereal grain produced by our rye cover crop, so I don't know whether it actually produces. I don't really like the taste of rye bread Neither do anyway, I. so I'm not giving, okay, we won't worry. Uh, millet, that's one that we know you people grow it as a cover crop, brown top people millet. People plant a, uh, what's called brown top millet all the time. I've not seen the grain from it, but... But Certainly the, the plant is used as a cover crop. Mm-hmm. But it can be milled into a flower. It's good for erosion control. Yeah, that so maybe that's another reason for us to try it. Amaranth. There is an ornamental plant, and this is a relative. You might think of, oh, amaranth is just a pretty flower to look at, but there is a, there is a grain that can be harvested. Um, quinoa, or, some, or actually I've learned that it was called quinoa, but everybody I've ever known calls it quinoa, so... With a Q, so I think just to communicate. Um, Q-U-I-N-O-A right. is the way we're accustomed to spelling it. And this you can you know, you know can find in Whole Foods and Earth Fair and, and those kinds of places all the time. Um, it's, it, we, you can grow it, yes, um, but not here. Yeah. Because when I found out it said that one of the sources told me it won't tolerate 95-degree weather, I said, forget it. Right. We know that our summers routinely, ex- our summer temperatures can regularly exceed 95 yeah. degrees. It's not like that's our average, but it's we reach 95-plus uh, on several days yeah. during the summer. Yeah, the quinoa wouldn't like it. But I think what we want to end with is to talk about what we're doing now. And you've already mentioned one of them, which is we buy our wheat berries and we mill them ourselves. But but before we mill them, actually, let's talk about the, the, one of the advantages of wheat berries and keeping them in the berry form until you're ready to use it to mill it, and that is storage. We can store wheat berries mm-hmm. in glass jars. They are sealed but not vacuum sealed, and we keep them in our root cellar, and to our knowledge, they'll keep for several years. Yeah, they, they're as long as they stay cool enough um, and they're sealed to keep insects out, and, and protected from light. Yes. Our root cellar keeps them dark. So they're fine until you mill them. Once you mill them, then you're mixing that fat with the protein, and you can easily get deterioration setting They'll go in. rancid, and you will know it as soon as you open the jar and smell it. That's right. right. And and if you don't have a storm shelter or a place like that, uh, ref- it's fine to refrigerate or freeze. Those yeah, we kept wheat our berries. wheat berries frozen for a, for a good while before we had a uh, root cellar, and that worked just fine. Yeah. We had big one-gallon Ziploc bags that we used to store wheat berries, and that worked fine. Yeah. So where does our where where do we lead ourselves in the future? Well, one is simply to plant more dent corn, as we've talked about. Just try to make a go of that, um, and of course, do some more research about. Which grains we really realistically can expect to grow in our area, not to mention can we find the grain somewhere. Locating the grain is a problem. So that's where we are on the grain question. This has been an interesting conversation for me because, as you can probably tell, Amanda's the one who really understands this. I'm just uh, hanging along oh, for the ride That's here. not true. But Amanda is the one who really loves bread, so that's a, that's a reason to, that's motivation enough. So we'll look forward to visiting with you next week. Have a good week. And Happy, and happy New, New, New Year. Year. Take care.
You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.